This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. So I'll never forget the day that my wife, Amy, told me that she was pregnant. It was a little over four and a half years ago, the summer before we were getting ready to leave Apex and move to Swansboro, and with so much transition happening, we couldn't help but feel like all of the pieces were coming together. My wife had a full-time job as an orchestra director in a middle school in Jacksonville, North Carolina. I had a full-time appointment as a pastor, and we were going to move to Swansboro, and we were going to start our family, and we were really, really excited about that possibility. Now, for those of you that know me and know my family, you know that while Amy told me that we were going to have a baby four and a half years ago, I do not have a four and a half year old child. I do not have a four and a half year old child. And that's because a couple weeks after we had moved to Swansboro, um, we experienced a miscarriage. Now, I remember it as clear as, like, as if it was yesterday. Amy had an appointment at the OB's office. I didn't go um, because it was just supposed to be a routine thing. She went. She was feeling uncomfortable. Um, The technician did the ultrasound to check for the heartbeat and all that good stuff. But there was something wrong. The technician started to apologize to Amy and start to tell Amy that this was going to be really tough and this is what was happening. And as Amy drove home, she called me and it was kind of tough to understand what I was hearing over the phone, but it was very clear that the pregnancy was no longer viable and that Amy was having a miscarriage. Now, we had told just a few people. We told our, like, our parents, some of our best friends, but we hadn't told anybody from our new church community because we just got there. And I'll never forget the pain that I felt um, really for a long time, but that specific day. I felt helpless to help my wife. Couldn't do anything for her. Um, I felt helpless to help myself because I was rather inconsolable. And I kind of felt alone. Even though my wife and I were experiencing this together, um, there wasn't a community that we had established in that place. Now, things started to bubble up in my head. For example, I knew that miscarriage occurs in early pregnancy, especially the first time around. It's not an incredibly rare thing. So I started to question my own grief in the midst of that. And is this really that big of a deal? Now, I'll tell you that it took me two years to share that story with my church family in Swansboro. It took until I had some good news to share. And that was that 
Amy was pregnant again, and this time around we knew um, that the success rate, that it was really high to go to full term and to have this baby. And people after the message came up to me, and more than they talked about congratulations, they hugged me and they said, I wish you would have told us. I wish you would have told us. My family experienced that too. I wish we could have come alongside you during that time and just let you know that you were not alone. All I could think to myself in that moment was I could have used those hugs two years ago. I could have used their presence two years prior to that moment. Now, as I said earlier this morning, as our church enters into this season, um, a season in which I remember this story often, a season in which maybe many of us remember similar stories of loss, our church is going to look at what it means to rediscover the lost art of lament. Did you know that the Bible has a lot to say about lament and grief? There is a whole book in the Bible dedicated to what it means to mourn and to grieve and to weep. So I want to share some of that scripture with you this morning. Our scripture comes from Lamentations, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Hear now the word of the Lord. How lonely sits the city that once was full of people. How like a widow she has become. She that was great among the nations. She that was a princess among the provinces has become a vassal. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks among all her lovers. She has no one to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her and they have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile with suffering and hard servitude. She lives now among the nations and finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. So the Hebrew title for the book of Lamentations is the word Echa, Echa. And Echa, literally translated, is how. How. The full name of the book in Hebrew is Megillah Echa, Echa, which means the scroll of how, or the how scroll. And we see Jeremiah. Jeremiah is often ascribed authorship of the book of Lamentations. Jeremiah was a prophet. There's a whole book of Jeremiah in our scripture. Jeremiah is often referred to as the weeping prophet. He prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile by the Babylonian Empire. 
And then he writes this book of lament. And he begins it with this word, how. And when I think of what it means to grieve and to lament, this question of how is prevalent in my mind because if grief is a bottomless pit, then, then I think how is one of the quickest descents we can make. How did this happen? How will I get through it? How will I ever be happy or whole again? When I think of the how, I also often find myself asking where, especially in relation to God. Where are you? Where are you? I ask myself that question often when Amy and I wrestled with our grief. God, where are you in the midst of this? And as we read a psalm of lament this morning, Psalm 137, just two psalms later in Psalm 139, we hear the psalmist responding to this question of where. He says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the pit, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. Scripture reminds us that even in the midst of our grief, when we find ourselves asking how, when we find ourselves searching for God and asking where, that even if we make our beds at the bottom of the pit, God is present with us. I think oftentimes we see God on the other side of grief and not in the midst of it. But I invite us this morning to consider what it might mean that God does not wait for us on the other side of our mourning, but that God travels with us through it. Now, there's a man named David Kessler, and maybe you're familiar with his work. David Kessler is one of the foremost experts on grief. And he said that grief is really about changes. Grief is really about changes. We experience a change in relationship, typically through loss. And our grief is a reflection of our response to that loss of relationship or connection. Jeremiah writes Lamentations because he has lost connection with his people and with his identity. He doesn't have a home. And so he writes from this place of grief. And he names it out loud. I want to give you 
a few helpful things that have been true for me. As I have wrestled with grief in my own life and as I have considered it through a biblical lens. And the first is this. If there's one thing I believe that is true about grief, it's that you can't heal what you don't feel. You can't heal what you don't feel. Grief is not something to go around, but something to journey through. As I struggled with my own grief, I realized that I wasn't only struggling to name it to others, I was struggling to name it to myself. I got into this place of comparison where I started to compare my grief with the griefs of others. But my grief was just that, it was mine, and it was real. And the longer I suppressed it, the longer I hindered any opportunity for me to find healing through it. There's one thing that I know to be true about grief. It's that you can't heal what you don't feel. Second thing I know to be true about grief is that grief must be witnessed. You cannot grieve on an island by yourself. One of the most beautiful moments in all of Scripture comes in the second chapter of Job. Anyone familiar with Job's story? Yeah? Job lost everything. Job lost his family. Job lost his home. And in the second chapter of Job, we see Job's friends coming to him. And it says that they saw him and they saw his pain and they saw his grief and they just sat with him. They sat with him in silence for seven days. It wasn't until one of them opened their mouths that they started to get in trouble. But for a moment, they sat with him. The foundation of our grief needing to be witnessed is this reality that we need others to see the pain, to see our pain. When David Kessler, who I mentioned before, described what his job is, what the core of his job is as someone who helps people grieve, he says, my job is to see your pain. My job is to see your pain to not let you be comparative, to not say, oh, this pain is greater than mine, but to see it and to acknowledge it. How are you walking through your grief so that you can feel it and you can begin to heal it? How are you communicating that grief to at least one other individual so that you might not grieve by yourself or on an island? We have people in our church 
who volunteer to come alongside others and see their pain. We have prayer ministers. We have Stephen ministers. We have a grief group that's starting this month. On the, it's the third Saturday of every month. November 18th is the first day for that this year. We have people that come alongside and see your pain. Who is seeing your pain? And finally, I want to offer one other. And this might be a little bit of a push. It might be a little bit of a nudge. But I invite you to consider it. As I was reading various articles and and books about grief and preparation for this sermon series, one thing that I heard that surprised me was, was this phrase. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. No one can take away the pain of a lost life. No one can take away the pain of a loss of a relationship. Consider divorce for a moment, something that as a child who grew up in a blended home, I knew the reality of what divorce was for for my parents. No one can take that pain away, but the suffering is what your mind does with that pain. So no one can take away the pain that I experienced when my parents divorced. But what my mind did was say, I caused it. It was my fault. What my mom's mind did was say things like, well, now you're too old. Now you're not good enough. You'll never love again. That's the suffering. That's the suffering. And so while we might acknowledge our pain and how helpful that is, we must also acknowledge that my daughter is wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) And that suffering, suffering can be optional. And so when we work through our grief, it's important to remember that the pain is always going to be there in some way. But must the suffering linger? And the more you invite people to see your pain, the more we can acknowledge the difference between where the pain is and where the suffering is. I want to end with this. Our grief produces wounds. Both visible and invisible. It produces wounds. And I'm not entirely sure if those wounds ever go away. But do you know what gives me hope? 
Do you know what gives me hope? Is that on the resurrected Christ, his wounds were still visible. The nail-scarred hands and feet of Jesus, the wounds were still visible after he was resurrected. And that biblical truth makes me question what the end of healing is. Is the end of healing that I would be completely healed and my wounds removed from me? Or is the end of my healing that my wounds, visible, might become a source of hope and healing for others? That's how we see Christ, the wounded healer. So friends, as we enter into this season, I invite you to consider what you are grieving. To name it. To name it to yourself and perhaps even to name it to another. To allow yourself to feel to allow your pain to be seen, to attempt to separate your pain from your suffering, and to remember that the wounds you carry could be a source of great hope and healing for others. That is my prayer for us. Amen.